Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. My name is Josh Bell, film critic and writer, and I'm here with my co-host. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw. <laughs> I'm Jason Harris, comedian, filmmaker, podcaster without borders. Oh, <laughs> I mean, do podcasts ever have borders? I go into war zones and record podcasts, Josh. I'd like to see that. Yeah. I, uh, if you need a podcast recorded in your war zone, don't call preferably Jason. about movies. Yeah, don't, 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 don't me up. Don't do that. Uh, in this season of Awesome Movie Year, I'm like a doctor without borders, except I have no value at all. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I can imagine those, uh, you know, those, those refugees thinking, well, let's reach out and we could get a doctor or we could get a podcaster. But Let's, only one. Which yeah. one do we get? Let's get a guy with comedic slant on pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> so in this season of Awesome Movie Year, we're talking about the films of 1989. And this episode is my personal pick, which also happens to be my favorite movie of all time, Heathers. Yeah. It is your favorite movie of all time. You must be excited for this episode. I'm excited, but I'm also a little apprehensive because I have a feeling it's not your favorite movie of all time, and uh, I'm not sure how you felt about it. Well, the story shall unravel as we go on throughout the podcast. I can't tell you just now because the, the listeners might turn it off if we give it away in act one. That's true. We got to build the suspense. Yeah. But uh, I do love this movie. I have seen it many times. And of course, the quote that i yes. introduced myself with is one of the many memorable lines of yeah this, this movie is insanely quotable yeah but when it was released it was not a success we could have uh, included this film in our flop episode or in our cult classic episode because it did poorly at the box office but then has really built its reputation over time uh, at the time it was released it grossed 1.1 million dollars on a budget of three million dollars so it wasn't a big budget film, but it definitely did lose money. It, uh, it was generally well-reviewed, and it did also win the Best First Feature Award at the Independent Spirit Awards. Uh, it was the debut feature, both for the director, Michael Lehman, and for the writer, Daniel Waters. Fairly well-reviewed, but not necessarily overwhelmingly. So I feel like a lot of the strong response to it has come in later years, not necessarily right immediately. Yeah, it's funny because you say it could be a cult classic. It's grown beyond a cult classic. I'd say. Yeah, it has become a huge pop culture thing. So yeah, I think that's something that we've talked about in our cult classic picks, where it's like, at what point is this movie not a cult classic anymore and just a classic? Right. And I think maybe this has, has kind of gone across that line. Um, so yeah, review-wise, I loved, I read Roger Ebert's review, which was a mixed review, uh, was entertaining because the the tone of Roger Ebert's review is kind of like, what? <laughs> um, you know, I feel like Roger Ebert didn't, he his whole review is like, he just didn't get it. And it comes across as very much like Roger Ebert uh, wondering what is up with kids today in 1989. <laughs> um, so this is, this is a more uh, a straightforward portion of his review though. In Lehman's film, the heroine is so appalled by the snobbish behavior of her friends that she joins in a plot to murder them and disguise the deaths as suicides. What sets Heathers apart from less intelligent teenage movies is that it has a point of view toward this subject matter, a bleak, macabre, and bitingly satirical one. I imagine the film will indeed shock some adults with its cold-blooded treatment of death among the young, but after having weathered the eight-part Friday the 13th series and countless other dead teenager movies, I have grown so hardened to the sight of adolescent movie corpses that this film seems only a little more cynical than most. And uh, yeah, he opens the review um, with a quote from Michael Lehman saying that uh, uh, something along the lines of uh, uh, adults are shocked by this movie, but teenagers are not. And uh, Ebert is uh, kind of dismissive of teenagers saying that uh, part of growing up is learning to be shocked by things that don't shock you as a teenager. So... <laughs> He was a little uh, get off my lawn about this movie. Yeah, he's all like, you guys are teenage dirtbags, baby. Yes, he quoted Wheatus <laughs> yeah. in 1989. That's right. I was kind of hoping because we've quoted a couple Ebert reviews over time 
especially I think on these teenage movies where he uh, goes into these rhapsodies about his own teenage years and his uh, lust yeah. for ladies at the time. And there's none of that in this Nothing review. of like, I thought of murdering my whole Right. Class. And I was sort of hoping for that. But We're going to get into it in the legacy, but it's uh, sadly prescient, Josh, that uh, teenage violence against other teenagers, especially in schools, like here it was so funny. Real life, not funny at all. No, not usually. No. More positively, uh, Rita Kempley in the Washington Post said, Heather's is not pretty in pink, all pom-poms and puppy love, but bodacious in black, chalkboard noir, the dark side of the wonder years. A cracked satire of the teen genre, it's slangy, raunchy, and gutsy as a prom date with Carrie. Caught somewhere between the numbing amorality of River's Edge and the heartfelt sap of John Hughes, Heathers chides the pursuit of popularity as it tackles the thornier topic of teenage suicide. More than just one of the best movies so far this year, it is a revolution in young adult entertainment. I, I mean, you know, like when doing the research, um, there's very few movies before it that uh, they say are like it or that I, I couldn't think of anything. There's a movie from 1976 massacre at central high yeah it was often compared to that which i think is like a roger corman b movie right and, but but as far as and you know we've watched a ton of teen movies together, we have and this is as we will probably talk about influential on a lot of them but i didn't really think of anything that i remember like this before seeing this yeah i do think this movie is revolutionary in terms of its approach and and uh, as we've said, uh, I think what we maybe said when we talked about say anything like the eighties are such a teen movie decade. I mean, teen movies are made at all times, the but we best really... teen movie decade. There you go. And, but when you think of eighties teen movies, you more often think of John Hughes or, or Cameron Crowe and that kind of stuff that not that that those movies aren't good and that they don't have like genuine emotion to them. But I think this is so different from those. Yeah. And yet deals with the same tropes in a honest way that makes it a valuable piece of art. Yeah. Oh, of course. I, I certainly agree. And also I saw a couple of Rita Kempley is not the only one. A couple of other reviews that I looked at, but uh, don't have here quoted compared it to this movie River's Edge, which I've never seen. Oh, Kevin. Was that who was in that? Kevin Bacon? No, Maybe. that's. 92 Meryl Streep River's Edge. I don't know. Meryl Streep. No, I think it's probably another teen movie. I doubt Meryl Streep is in it. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what this movie is. The River's Edge. Yeah, Dave, I don't know, but let us um, know. Yeah. yeah, apparently that was uh, a similar movie in certain ways, and probably had come out like the earlier that year or the year before or something like that. So since I love this so much, I figured it would be only fair to put a negative review in here as well. Jonathan Rosenbaum in the Chicago Reader said. Michael Lehman's first film as a director and Daniel Waters' first film as a screenwriter, this misanthropic black comedy about the cruelty of high school teenagers succeeds at least in being offbeat, but its inanities and glib pretensions are so thick that it mainly comes across as tacky and contrived. The dialogue is relentlessly fancy without being witty, and the specious moralizing of the plot looks like it was tacked on to appease square adults. The real narrative force behind this movie is nihilist camp, as in Roger Corman's 1966 The Wild Angels, but without the same degree of filmmaking skills. If you're in a low mood, you might find it funny in spots. Nihilist Camp, of course, um, my least favorite of all the ex-boyfriends in Scott Pilgrim. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, River's Edge, actually, it's about a high school slacker, commits a shocking act and proceeds to let his friends in on the secret. Starred Keanu Reeves, Crispin Glover, and Ioni Sky. All right. Yeah, we should see that. Yeah. What year? Was that 89 also or 88? 86. 86. You know what that sounds like? Also, Mean Creek? Was it Mean Creek? Yeah, Mean Creek. Yeah. That was a good one as well from yeah. the, the OOs, I believe. That yeah. Movie. Yeah. Rory? Rory Culkin, maybe? Maybe. Some Culkin. Yeah. So many movies we've seen. They just all float in and out. And, and so many Culkins. <laughs> I, got, I got most of the Culkins, you know, <laughs> sorted in my head. Yeah. So. All right. So, yeah, I mean, Rosenbaum is a notorious uh, sort of cranky critic. And obviously, I don't agree really with anything he says i think this movie is extremely witty i don't think it's moralizing in a in a scolding kind of way necessarily uh i don't find it tacky uh and i find it funny throughout so i disagree with everything he said but that is an an alternate perspective there well you gotta have 
different perspectives, Josh. You, that's, you do. That's what we're all about. Here. That is. So um, I got nothing else for all this right. episode. Thank you. Yes. So had you seen this movie before? Yeah, I saw it, but I didn't see it when I, when it was in the theaters. Right. I was no, just nor a did young I. lad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so when did I see it? I don't think I saw it in like my teenage years. I think it must have been like in my 20s when I was catching up on the ones I missed. Yeah. And I really, really liked it then. And upon watching it this time, it was a little more problematic for me, Josh. All right. That's fair. Yeah. I didn't. I also didn't see this in theaters. It's certainly not a movie that I would have seen when I was 10 years old. Um, and I caught this movie not uh, on purpose. I remember the first time I saw this movie was on Comedy Central when I was in high school and just flipping past stuff on like a Sunday afternoon or something. Friday night. Uh, maybe that could have been. Uh, 8 p.m. But just aimlessly and probably started it from somewhere in the middle. And I remember being just like so drawn into this and like amazing. I don't know if I'd ever even heard of it before. Um, but like blown away by it and then going out and I'm sure renting it from, you know, Blockbuster or something like that and watching the whole movie. And then I did own the VHS copy, uh, probably also from Blockbuster, maybe a refurbished, uh, former rental. I could have sold it to you. You could have. Um, I think it was, it might've been just before uh, I moved uh, to Vegas here and you and I met. Um, I remember watching it at home when I lived in California before moving here. But it just it just drew me in and everything about it I thought was so fascinating. And I think, you know, being in high school at the time, having seen other teen movies that took different approaches, this this struck me as so fresh. And it's just really, really funny. Also, I think, you know, I was probably just laughing at the jokes and I just would watch it again and again and bits on TV, maybe even if I owned it, just if it if I caught it on TV. And the more I watched it, the more I really liked it. And I, you know, I, I think some of it being my favorite movie of all time is just that you kind of, I don't know, at least maybe I do this. I come up with something and decide, okay, that's it. And then if people ask me, you always have an answer, you know, and sometimes I wonder like, well, if I really had to go back and look through every movie I've ever seen, is this still you the do. number one? Yes. Let's, let's do that. That's you our must. new podcast. Yeah. Every movie Josh has ever seen. Jason, do you have a favorite movie of all time, like ready to go? I mean, I have a short list of like Lebowski, Rushmore, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I think Aviator is on that list for me, but I can't. And good, I guess I would say Goodfellas if I had to go through. Yeah. Movies. What yeah. about you? Adaptation. Not the ten. <laughs> Not the ten, but it's up there. <laughs> but I think this is the thing, and especially being a critic. Like I would get that question enough that rather than going through like what you just did and say like, well, I love this one and I love this one. And these are all kind of the top. People just want an answer. Yeah. And so I just decided that this was the answer, but I I'm happy with this as the answer, like watching it again. Now it's like everything about this movie is great. There is nothing about this movie that I don't like. You know, we talked about Batman earlier this season, which is another one of my favorites of all time. And looking at that, I can see like, well, this is flawed and this is flawed. But Heather's, I just honestly, I love everything about it. Aha, then we shall do battle. <laughs> Let us do battle when we come right back and talk about our general thoughts on Heather's. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we are talking about my personal pick, Heather's. Uh, which, as I have been saying, is my favorite movie ever. And uh, if you haven't, if you're not familiar with it, the plot of this movie is uh, Winona Ryder plays Veronica Sawyer, one of the most popular girls at Westerberg High School, and she hangs out with the Heathers, the three. Right. She was not until she started hanging out with the Heathers. Yes, and they are the most popular girls, uh, three girls named Heather. Uh, but she's a bit conflicted about popularity and the whole high school hierarchy. And she starts dating bad boy Jason Dean, JD, played by Christian Slater, who kind of... Uh, Perfectly cast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And he kind of uh, encourages her uh, antisocial tendencies. And uh, eventually they go on a killing spree. Let's just say it. They, uh, they murder some of the most popular... They do popular... some murdering. They do some murdering. And uh, they disguise these murders as suicides and end up getting these popular, vapid kids uh, 
posthumous reputations that they don't deserve, uh, only reinforcing the high school hierarchy. And eventually, Veronica comes to realize that JD is a is a psychopath, and they are become enemies. But it's a satire. It's funny. I think it's hilarious. It's very funny. So much so that I wrote down my five favorite lines, all right, which I will sprinkle them. throughout this. Oh, show. okay. All right. Is this in order? Should we start with number, number five? Number five. Grow up, Heather. Bulimia is so 87. Yes, that is one Heather to another. Uh, I believe it's Shannon Doherty's Heather Duke, who is bulimic, and uh, Heather Chandler, the head Heather, is uh, scoffing at her. They're both so great in this movie. They're they're very strong, both of them. Yes, yeah. I mean, everyone, I think, in this movie, I think it's Kim Walker is her name, who plays uh, Heather McNamara, and she was uh, Christian Slater's girlfriend at the time. Right, that's the cheerleader Heather, right? No, that's the uh, the, the first Heather who dies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lisanne Falk he- plays the cheerleader Heather. Okay, yeah. Heather, uh, oh, that's Heather McNamara. Sorry, Heather Chandler yeah. is the main one. Yeah, Heather Chandler is the yes. main one, which I thought you would know since it's your favorite movie I, you, Yes, I, I, I messed that up. I apologize. And Heather Chandler, see, this is one of my issues. It's so hilarious that after she dies, like the comedy isn't as strong because she she's the funniest one of the bunch. I mean, she is really funny. I think the comedy remains strong, but um, I do like her. Like she's got a great performance and, and Daniel Waters writes a lot of great lines for her. Yeah. She does briefly show up again in a, a dream sequence that Winona Ryder has uh, complaining about how heaven is boring and uh, there's nothing to do there. A lot of it is just really great. And the way they introduce the different characters in school where like, or the different clicks, like, hey, we're taking a poll for the paper, and you see them ask these different, you know, groups. Um, the dynamics between the Heathers and Veronica as a click. JD right away just shocks you when he pulls a gun empty yes. on a curtain ram. But you know, I wrote I wrote down the phrase uh, very popular in comedy right now, punching down. Right, and there's a lot of punching down in this movie, which I thought you of all people, you know being the social justice warrior that you are would uh would have some you know I mean from. I I am I am definitely not uh in favor of 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 punching down as which is a term for making fun of people in a lower social or economic status taking the easy shot at right. people who are have harder harder lives yes yeah you. yeah but I don't think that's what this movie does I mean I think the main target of the jokes in this movie are the people who are the most privileged. Like Martha Dumptruck? But Martha Dumptruck is a sympathetic character. I mean, the jokes that are made at her expense are meant to be, we're not meant to like, we're not meant to approve of the people making fun of Martha Dumptruck. The Heathers are the ones who are doing it. Uh, Kurt and Ram, you mentioned, who are the popular football players, are making fun of her. And she's a sympathetic character. So I don't think this movie is using her as a target of, uh, the, it's not. She's not the movie's target. She's the character's target. The characters yes, they were not is. meant to like. Yeah, I felt like that doesn't. Pl- I mean, because she's a big. Yeah, you know, she's a fat and you know awkward, unattractive. Yeah. yeah. So I thought that was just uh, too easy. But I get what you're saying. It's like this is to make us dislike the Heather's more. But we don't dislike the Heathers, do we? Well, I mean, they're entertaining to watch, but they're terrible people, I think, (laughs) is the point. And part of what makes them terrible people is the way that they treat Martha Dumtruck or Curtin Ram, the way that they use all these homophobic slurs all the time. Okay, but then then do you think the the when they murder Curtin Ram and have their like gay goodie bag that they put by him like they were secretly gay? You know, that's a little dated and played out. And it's like, oh, they drank mineral water. They're gay. Right. I mean, but again, I think the joke is not ha ha gay people drink mineral mineral water. The joke is that people in Ohio assume that anyone who drinks mineral water must be gay. So you're looking at it as a meta type thing. Yeah. The joke is on small minded people. The joke is on people who give in to stereotypes. And JD knows that when he puts together that little goodie bag. He knows that when he puts these things in here, the small-minded idiot cops will assume that these people must be gay. Well, fuck me gently with a chainsaw. Number, number four on my list. All right. Yeah, yeah that is a <laughs> great. I feel like that's probably the most uh, iconic line to come out of this movie. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, man. They. They. Um. Yeah, Heather. Heather Chandler, man. She. She's hilarious, and Shannon Doherty showed such a good impulse for comedy. I want. I wish we could have seen more. Yeah. In the next decade of her just being like funny. Although know? I don't know if you read this, but uh, I did. Yeah. So <laughs> Shannon Doherty, of course, 
uh, you're right. She's very funny in this movie, but was unknowing. Yeah. She thought it was a serious drama and was upset when she saw the final product and realized that it was a comedy. She ran out of the room crying. Yeah. And there, she's got a great line, which didn't make my top five, but, but which is, uh, Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Yes. Right? Which uh, she smiles throughout because she thought, you know, naughty word. Blah, blah, yeah, blah, blah. she doesn't want to say the swear words. This movie has, I, I can't remember where it was. Maybe it was a letterbox review. Somebody commenting about how this movie has such great use of swearing and that, you know, a, that's a mark of a good comedy. It's so, it's so important. I say this in stand-up all the time because you hear like comics like, oh, I was walking down the fucking street and it's like, you're just wasting a fuck right there. You right. know, like if it doesn't have a meaning, like don't say it. And like, they definitely make it all count here. Yeah, they don't waste any of their fucks in this yeah. movie. I understand what you're saying about the potential for this being problematic. And certainly the, the school violence aspect of it would never fly right now. I mean, at the beginning of the movie, when JD is introduced and he pulls a gun and he fires the gun at Kurt and Ram, I mean, it's, it's blank, so he doesn't hurt them. But still... Uh, the idea that in the next scene, the Heathers are talking about, ah, oh, it was just a prank. It's no big deal. He's not going to get expelled or suspended. And in fact, they say he might get suspended, but we never see him even getting suspended yeah. for this. Just crazy. I mean, and sad in real life that that's how far we've come from that. I remember maybe me and you talking about it, maybe me and my brother, but we were going to at some point write like a, either a play or a film and it was going to be uh, a spoof. And it was about two, different groups who came to shoot up their high school on the same day. And they were like, no man, this was our day to do it. And like, you know, I think when we came up with the idea, it was smart and funny. And now it's just like, no, that's not, there's just too much of this crap. I don't want to do it or go there. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I just laughed. So yeah, right. I do. I do think it's possible that you could make something. I mean, maybe not this particular movie and the story that they tell in this movie, but that someone could come up with something satirical and funny today about the topic of school violence that would work. But I do think it would be very difficult. Yeah. You know, one thing we were talking about was the writer and director both debut and this is probably their height, right? Yeah. It's like Daniel Waters said um, he wanted Kubrick to direct this, right? Right. And he wanted to be three hours long and no, all of that would have been terrible. So how did they get together him and, and Michael, uh, Lerman. Lerman. Lehman. Lehman. Yeah, there's how no did, there's no R in it. How do they end up finding each other? What's the deal here, man? Uh, you know, I don't I don't know. I assume Kubrick was unavailable. And <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the studio goes through people and 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 Lehman had, you know, uh been um, on the list or something yeah. like that. Um, but yeah, I mean it is it is a weird sort of confluence of the right script and the right director, maybe because they hadn't done anything before they didn't come in with any baggage they were able to approach this the right way but i mean so much of like you know we keep talking about the lines like that's all in that script i mean he wrote just a phenomenal script including my third favorite line in the movie did you have a brain tumor for breakfast yes <laughs> which of course had a tragic uh yeah kim walker died, died of a, a brain, brain tumor, tumor when yeah. she was like 31 32 yeah, years old yeah yeah so. died young very sad and they also the guy who uh jeremy applegate who played peter who praised that he never commits suicide in real life committed suicide sad sad ironies those are sad yeah and um you know she was she's so funny i was like why haven't we seen more of kim walker and, yeah you know well that's part she of was that. working you know yeah of, of, and she and Jennifer Aniston were best friends and moved oh. out to LA, LA together. But I really think she could have been a really funny Christina Applegate type going forward. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. And Lisanne Falk, who plays Heather McNamara, the cheerleader, uh, I actually, when we watched Say Anything, I noticed her pop up for They're like both two seconds. There. Yeah. Both of them are in there. Yeah. yeah, I think I had only noticed her, but she, I assume, is still around, but, you know, hasn't really. Yeah. And, uh, you know, who originally was offered that part was Heather Graham. Right. Which I think she would have done a very good job with. But her parents thought the uh, material was too dark, racy, edgy, and they would not right. let her play the part. Well, I mean, I think this was clearly a movie, and we mentioned how it didn't do well at the box office. I think this was a movie that maybe audiences weren't ready for or didn't really understand what to expect out of it at the time that it was released. Not just audiences. Winona Ryder's agent like begged her not to take the part and thought she would be committing career suicide. Right. So. But I mean, some of those stories, you hear that. And then it's like, oh, but then the movie came out and they saw that it was great or they saw that it was successful. And, you know, it turned out that the person was right. I mean, I think we talked about this in relation to another movie. Yeah, now. I can't did. remember what it was. It was Sex, Lies and Videotape. 
Right, and, Laura you know, San Giacomo. Right, yeah. and that was a movie where immediately when it came out, it was so highly acclaimed and so successful that I'm sure that agent realized that their mistake. Yeah. But this is a movie that wasn't that way immediately. But, you know, over time has certainly grown. I mean, and I think that's in part, you know, because of the incredibly smart writing. But I think there's just so much great detail in everything about this movie, not just the dialogue, but the visuals. I think even as many times as I've seen this movie, I probably noticed some little thing little different thing in a performance or like what was something this I mean something that was small and it's not necessarily like brilliant comedy but I noticed in the scene where uh Veronica and JD first have sex he shows up at her window and they go play strip croquet yeah and uh the camera is panning across the croquet uh as they're lying kind of uh in each other's arms under a blanket in the backyard and there's a croquet mallet and two of the croquet balls kind of arranged yeah. in a suggestive manner and that's a What does it suggest Josh? It suggests uh penis and testicles oh, okay. you know you. in case you were unsure of what that might <laughs> hey, be But that scene you're talking about uh, what I had noted is how did he know where she lived? We had no, we had no justification for that. I mean, I guess I don't know. There was a school directory or something. No, I mean, that, that's they had not like met once in school. I'm JD. I'm Veronica. I'm not a Heather. I'm a Veronica. And right. Then, like the next thing, he's at her window. Come on. Yeah. Man. I mean, well, that's. I think that's the thing is that he's this presumptuous guy. I mean, at that moment in the movie, we kind of think of him maybe as you know, he's the cool, smart guy. As you know, in contrast to the Heather's and in contrast to Kurt and Ram, the football players. But it's an early indication of how unstable he is and how dangerous he is and toxic and everything that Veronica doesn't realize until later than the, in the movie yeah. that JD is the actual villain of the movie. Right. And as we uh, know, not just from the performance, but by what Christian Slater said, very influenced by Jack Nicholson. And you could tell. Yes, you can. I mean, and that's, I think, something that Christian Slater has been uh either accused or I mean he wouldn't I think he would embrace it but certainly that was noted by about a lot of his performances greetings and salutations yes it's an excellent is that one of your top quotes no it's not but if you want my number two quote I think we're up to right yeah it is again I think it's Heather Chandler who says what's your damage you're being a real coos yes classic (laughs) This is a great jersey. That is, yeah. There's so much great slang in this movie too. And and I love, I mean, it's a mix of of wordplay and things that Daniel Waters invented. I mean, the idea of using very, yeah, how very. So very yeah. yeah, and then that's not something that real teenagers ever said, but that he came up with for the movie. Also, I don't think you heard teenage females talking like this, yes. at least not on the screen at this point. Yeah, time. that's absolutely true. That movies like this would have male main characters. And not only is Veronica the main character and really the most fully realized person in this movie. I mean, she has conflicts internally. She goes along with JD at first and then comes to realize that, you know, things have gotten out of control. She loves, loves and hates the Heathers at the same time and feels conflicted about the high school sort of balance of power and all of that. And I like that too, that uh, JD and Veronica are, irritated that their fake suicides for these people have given them depth. Yeah. But I think the movie gives sympathy to those characters. Uh, I mean, especially Heather McNamara, the cheerleader character who is sort of the, you know, third tier Heather and wants to catch up with them and uh, has her own suicide attempt where she's taking sleeping pills. And you really feel, I think in the performance and also in the way that that's staged, you feel some pathos there. Teenage suicide, don't, don't do, do it. it. Yeah. Big fun, yes. The fictional band created for this movie who has that, which is a totally believable, like wham style 80s hit, I think. Yeah. Things that I thought might not work that do work. Yeah. Are like the way Christian Slater and his, and his dad talk to each other. I love that. Right. Where Christian Slater's like, How was your day, son? And the dad's like, Good, dad. Let me tell you what I did. You know, and it's yeah. Like, that could easily, had it not been executed perfectly, just been super schlocky. And the same thing with Veronica and her parents, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, because you're an idiot, dad. And like, oh, yes, I am an idiot, you know? like <laughs> Right. And there's, there's great parallels in those two scenes with, with Veronica and her parents where at first she's talking about, you know, coming back to school after spring break. And I got a motor if I'm going to make it to this uh, party. And then, you know, the second scene where it's uh, after... Heather has died and how was the first week after her suicide? And I got a motor if I'm going to make it to this funeral. Right. Although I think the third scene where 
they're like jd came over and said you were suicidal and they just brush it off i didn't think that one worked as well uh, I mean, I think it it shows that the idea that these parents are oblivious and that's that's meant to be their characterization, that they don't really understand Veronica or understand what's going on and and have concern for her, but don't really know how to express it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, those are them and, and JD's dad are the only parent characters we see in the movie, although we see a lot of some, uh, the teachers, especially Miss Fleming, the touchy-feely uh, English teacher. I was, like the principal myself. Yeah, with his uh, pipe that he's constantly poking at with a pencil. Yeah, and he tells her, thank you, let me know when your shuttle lands. Yes. She offers a plan. <laughs> she, he, I thought he was a fun principal type. Yeah, he was. I mean, and of course, the, the, the teachers are as much a target here as the students. You know, Miss Fleming, who has these, these hippie ideas, but really is just out to promote herself and get TV cameras to show up at the school so they can uh, film her like uh, holding hands with all the students. And uh, of course, the principal who's only worried about how much time do we need to give them off school for, uh, you know, he's saying, I, I'd give a half a day for a cheerleader. Right. That's funny. Yes. Right? He's, even he's talking about the popularity of the people. But, um, you know, I don't know, act three, maybe not as tight as the first, you know, 60 minutes where yeah. JD decides he's going to blow up the school and Veronica kind of tracks him to the boiler room and, he has to, she has to stop the bomb and she shoots him twice and he still manages to make it out of the school and blows himself up and, but not the entire school. I don't, I don't know his speech, little, um, you know, little ex exposition-y, you know? So, I mean, I guess, but I think it's, it's part of like, we finally see what his ridiculous point of view is. And because he gives it in this speech, you realize how sad and pathetic he kind of is. And this is the, the final way to show you that he's not cool he's never been cool and it was just really this desperate move of his to get veronica veronica to kind of go along with him Mm. um i mean i agree the like bomb with the ticking clock is a kind of cliched movie device that maybe is not necessary um but i like the way that this movie ends i like that jd is essentially not only he's defeated but he becomes a loser at the end, you know, and, and, and Veronica even says, what do I want? I want losers like you out of my life. And, and she realizes that, you know, he's not any she better. She doesn't say losers. She says cool guys. Cool guys. You're yeah, right. You're right. So. See, and I messed that up because yeah. the idea there is that he's not a cool, you know, he thinks he's a cool guy, but he's just as lame as the football players, as the cheerleaders. And he's just as consumed with the idea of high school stratification as the rest of them are. Yeah, I mean, the original ending was he succeeds in blowing the entire school up. And then there's like a prom in heaven where you see like all these mismatch pairs of like popular person and dork dancing. And Martha Dumbtruck is giving like the entertainment for the night. That would have been an interesting ending. I think, yeah, I'm so glad that they didn't use that ending. I mean, that goes to JD's speech where he says the only way that different social types can get along is in heaven. But I think the movie is much stronger for the way that it undermines him at the end. That And in fact, everyone else at the school is complete, like he's so self-important and literally everyone else is completely oblivious to what's going on. They don't pay any attention to him at all. To, to them, he means nothing. And I think that's a better way to end the movie than with that weird, surreal heaven thing. So, and this is a sense of where I'm glad that a studio executive or whoever decided that that was going too far. Yeah, I didn't say I needed that ending. Right. So you can stop chastising. I'm me not chastising now. you. I'm I'm praising what was done in the film. So what what else did you think didn't work for you this time? I mean, honestly, those were the the real things where I just I just thought there was some punching down. I thought after Heather Chandler died, the humor dropped off a little, and I thought Act Three w- didn't hold together as tightly as the first two acts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I the Act Three criticism, I can I can sort of sort of get um i i do think this movie is consistently funny and as many times as i've seen it i was still laughing throughout the movie you know even past where heather chandler uh is is gone um i think as we were saying shannon doherty is is very funny even if she wasn't doing it on purpose yeah i think so too i i think heather graham might have been a better heather mcnamara really you didn't like lisanne fogg's performance i didn't think there was much to it yeah i mean i do like especially that moment in the in the bathroom where veronica comes and and stops her from killing herself i thought there was some depth to her performance there uh and winona Ryder is so good in this movie 
the other names Bandy DeBauer, Drew Barrymore, Justine Bateman, and Jennifer Connolly. But this is Winona Ryder's movie. Yeah, so. she's just fantastic in this role. And I mean, part of it is that I like I said, Veronica gets the most range and complexity of any of these characters. But I think it's a hard thing to do. Uh, especially to keep you like sympathetic to this character throughout the movie, even as she's participating in these murders. JD doesn't necessarily need to be sympathetic, but Veronica always does. Yeah. And I think Winona Ryder really gets that balance where you can understand what she's getting caught up in as she goes along with JD, but you can also believe her transition to being uh, kind of his enemy. Right. Um, I, the whole thing, I just think and, she's fantastic. And of course, those two ended up, you know, together. Right, Christian Slater and Winona Ryder in real life. Yeah, for 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 a period of time. Yeah, and the other JD names were Brad Pitt, Jim Carrey, Jason Bateman, Judd Nelson. Those would have all been much worse. I think Christian Slater just knocked this one. They both like knocked it out of the park. So. Yeah, they're both so fantastic. Uh, th- those performances are are really. I just yeah, I can't say enough about how good they are. Um, I think the the movie has a good visual style too. Yeah, I agree. I'm like, why hasn't why hasn't he gone on to do like we talked about? He's a he's a TV director, uh, Lehman, and this is I guess more legacy stuff. The the movies I noted that he also directed were Airheads and Hudson Hawk. You know, so yeah, didn't really go anywhere, right? But man, what what the heck? This is this yeah, totally great visual style. Like some cool angles when like Kurt and Ram are running away from uh, JD as they try to avoid his. Or maybe it's just Ram or Kurt. Yeah, it's running. Kurt, I think, yeah. is the one who Veronica misses at first, and he's running away. And when uh, Heather Chandler drinks the uh, cleaning fluid and falls through the table, like, just a really cool shot where she's not even through the table, and you're, like, above her, and the table's already breaking. Like, yeah. It was awesome. He did yeah. good stuff. So Yeah, this movie looks great. The the dream sequences, which is, I mean, maybe part of the third act thing that that didn't quite work for you but i thought that that looks great the funeral where everyone is in like 3d glasses and uh the shots of that that uh the priest who is uh glenn shaddix who was later in beetlejuice right. or was previously Before in beetlejuice, beetlejuice yeah, yeah is so funny here as well um yeah it's it's put together i feel like it is paced very well um you know the editing and everything so uh i yeah i don't know i don't know what else i can possibly uh praise about this movie i just you know i'm just going on. soundtrack uh yeah the music is good um the there's not i think and also in contrast to a lot of teen movies of this era we think of you know these iconic like pop hits that were in john hughes movies or certainly you know we talked about say anything earlier and hammer and crow's use of music uh other than the uh the big fun song and then uh que sera sera which is sort of the theme that they right. use two versions of this movie isn't full of pop songs, and I think it it works because it gives it that sort of surreal quality. A case Sera, Sera, of course, is not exactly like an 80s pop hit or anything. It's something from way back in the 40s that Doris Day sang. She would not give it the rights to it. Right, and she would not let them use it in a movie that involves swearing. Um, she was a very wholesome person, Doris Day. But the versions that they use in this movie, I think, are good. The score, too, I think it it gives it that heightened edge where it's not... You know, this isn't a realistic movie uh, per se, but I think it gets at a lot of real ideas and emotions about being a teenager and uh, about high school and and about society. Because as JD says, the school was society. <laughs> well, that was not my number one line. What is your number one line? Still, I think a uh, motto we can all live by. If you want to fuck with the Eagles, you have to learn how to fly. Yeah, that's your number one line. Yeah, I love that line. That's All a right. great line, man. Okay. And it's so early in the movie that like I feel like it sets a tone. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think there's just tons of great lines. I said so, you know, fuck me gently with a chainsaw, I think is uh is the one that's the most memorable in this movie. Just because it's it's such a vivid image. Yeah. <laughs> uh anything else in particular that that you liked? Uh I want who, who what's his name? The guy, big fun guy. Big fun. The uh, the songwriter, yeah, Don Dixon, right, a very influential musician. Yeah, produced uh, REM albums at the time, I believe. Yeah, I mean, um, other than that, I think everything kind of uh, goes into uh, legacy section. Other than 
that they in foreign territories they call this movie lethal attraction which is a terrible title yeah uh but uh and obviously didn't help with the box office yeah i don't know like to me and it kind of you know goes look it was entertainment Re- weekly ranked it as the number five best high school movie of all time of their 50 empire magazine ranked it as the 42nd best movie of the 500 greatest movies like it's just so interesting that neither Lehman nor Waters like went on to like really anything like they work, but I mean, Waters, didn't he co-write Batman Returns? He did. Yeah. Yeah. So after that, there really wasn't much going on. Yeah. Yeah. That is. And, and as much as I love this movie, I can't think of anything that I've seen that, that either of those guys worked on that I yeah. had anywhere near the same amount of affection for. Yeah. So should we give this a rating out of, uh, I don't know, out of Heather's? Five chainsaws. Five chainsaws to be fucked gently with? Yeah. yeah. Three and a half for me. All right. I give it five. I Like I said, I honestly think this is a perfect movie. Yeah. Um, to me, I think it was probably four, four and a half the first time. And yeah. Then, oh, it no, really I fell off it. for you then. I mean, yeah, three and a half is good, though. No, three so. and a half is good. Yeah. Well, uh, we mentioned a bit about uh, Daniel Waters and Michael Lehman, but we can come back and talk more about them and the legacy of Heathers. Are you tired of stumbling across the same old kind of podcast show with a couple of white guys every other day talking about different forms of entertainment such as movies, music, video games? Well, too bad because we got another one for you. Introducing the world's most unoriginal and anti-niche podcast ever, the Podwood Forecast. Hosted by Mitchell Owens. I steal money from poor innocent people who got in car crashes. And yours truly, Clifford Close. This is a podcast we do for fun where we talk about the little things we enjoy. The Podwood Forecast. Available on any podcast platform. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. In this episode of our season on the films of 1989, we're talking about my personal pick, Heather's. And uh, we mentioned a bit about the legacy of this movie, in particular about the writer and director, uh, Daniel Waters and Michael Lehman, who really never lived up to this film. Yeah, I, like we said, Daniel Waters. There's a movie that looked interesting that I never saw called Happy Campers. Yeah, he wrote and directed a couple. That movie, uh, Happy Campers and uh, Sex, Sex and, and Death, Death 101. 101. Yeah. yeah, but I, neither of those have particularly good reputations no. and certainly didn't make any kind of impact. I haven't seen either one. I like that he had a column like in, I guess in his own high school called Troubled Waters where he would make up fictitious stories about real classmates. Right. I think that was a part of the influence on writing this screenplay. So yeah, that's part of it to me is just like, man, what, what happened here? Like to these two guys. Yeah. And I don't know if it's that they, they weren't offered the opportunities to use their talents or maybe they just this was all they had in them. Yeah. You know, the one movie that they worked on together after this was Hudson Hawk. Yeah. That Daniel Waters was one of the writers and Michael Lehman directed. And I've never seen that, but that has, of course, a reputation as being one of the worst movies ever made. Right. A huge bomb, too. Yes. Daniel Waters did, as we said, co-write Batman Returns, as well as Demolition Man, which is a movie I like. But I mean, in both of those cases, he's just one of many writers. So who knows how much influence he's he had. He's probably like a punch-up guy, you know, who's getting paid a lot, but not making, getting a lot of credits. Michael Lehman works all the time in television, constantly. Yes. Yeah, he does. He hasn't directed a feature since I think like 2007, but he directs TV all the time. I kind of have some affection for Airheads. Yeah, I know. And Dave loves that movie. Do you, you, Dave? I do love Airheads. Oh, okay. Have you seen Heathers? Uh, It's been a while, but I loved it back in the day. Why Nona Ryder always talking about Heathers too. Yeah, which is, I mean, I think that the the moment has passed I don't think it'll work. Yeah, I do like that uh, Shannon Doherty played um, JD's mom on the TV series Heather. Yeah, which was a giant failure. That Heather's TV series. It was like just recent, well, right? It yeah, it was recent. very recent. It was yeah. maybe 2018. And but I think, like we were talking about, the prevalence of this kind of stuff in reality. There were so many incidences that yeah. they kept postponing the premiere of that show. Right. And then when it finally did premiere, it got terrible reviews. Um, and eventually, uh, even then as it was airing, there was yet another shooting and they truncated the final episode and they didn't want to run it. 
And I've never seen any of it. I was actually looking to see if it was available somewhere before, you know, to maybe just watch an episode before this. And it's only available to like purchase digitally. It's not. Yeah, I don't, I never saw it, but I don't think you can. It's tough to recapture these. I know they did Heather's the musical because that's everyone's doing yeah. everything the musical. And that had like a semi-successful run. And then there was an episode on Riverdale where they did the musical on the show. Right. Kind of fun. But um, yeah, I don't know. The Veronica's, the band that we uh, don't know anything just about. Know yeah. as the Veronica's named after Veronica Sawyer. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have seen Heather's the musical. I saw a production here locally in Vegas. And oh. I, I remember thinking... The songs are good, and the performance that I saw here was was solid. I think it was the Onyx Theater here. Was it the Was it like the Majestic Rep Players or who did? I that? don't remember. It was at the Onyx Theater. I'm not. I can't remember which theater company it was now. Yeah. But my my issue with it, and it's been a little while, but I remember thinking that it completely failed to capture the like darkness and satire of the movie. Yeah. And it was just very sanitized. Um, like as the way that they structured the story, but I don't remember enough specific details. Yeah. Um, I will mention about the Heather's TV series that, uh, which again, I haven't seen, but just reading about it, you know, we talked about the, the alternate ending for the movie, Daniel Waters, original ending where the prom where everyone's dead and there's a prom in heaven. And that was how the TV series ended. Oh, okay. So they used that. The, the school, in fact, blew up. Everyone died and they used that. And I know there was also in the original ending, there was, it might've been an alternate of the alternate ending, but it's uh, Martha Dump Truck stabs Veronica and yells, fuck you, Heather. And as she's like laying there clutching to life, she goes, I'm not a Heather. I'm not a Heather. You yeah. Know? I mean, again, yeah. I think the actual ending is, is stronger than both of those. And I don't know how that worked on well, the TV and, show. And the actual ending is JD blows himself up. The school is kind of reset. And Veronica, who's now the boss bitch, yes. as, as Cardi B might say, uh, Oker says uh she goes up to martha dump truck and says my prom date is uh not really available anymore would you like to get some new releases yes. watch some videos together yes she says i'd like that. I'd which like is her only too. line in the whole movie right uh yeah i mean and like i was saying before the idea that jd blows himself up that his grand plan turns to nothing and no one even knows or cares what he did, I think is the perfect thing to do. Now, did you like the Edna's Goldfish song, Veronica Sawyer, also covered by Real Big Fish? No, but I'm glad you are reaching deep into the <laughs> influence. minutia. People love this movie of all different types. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think that does speak to it, that musicians are inspired by this movie. Um, the other thing about the TV series, though, uh, you know, you're talking about punching down. And what they did in the TV show is the Heathers themselves are like these queer people of color. You know, they took the marginalized people and made them into the, the, the Heathers, the like people that were meant to hate. And a lot of what I read about the show is that that was just kind of like a tone deaf reimagining of it. And that's punching down because then the people that we are that are being held up as terrible are the mar marginalized people. I mean, I would. Uh, yeah, but okay, but it's a TV show, so it's more than one episode, right? Right. And had it just been four pretty white girls, then I think that's also tone deaf to today. Maybe you needed a mix of some of everything. Yeah, I don't know. And again, I haven't seen it, but this is just based on reviews that, again, we're not positive at it all. It just seemed like a doom project to begin it with. It clearly was. And there was a whole second season that they were going to do it was going to be some sort of anthology thing. And the second season was going to be set in like, 18th century France or something like that, like around yes. Marie Antoinette times, you know, like uh, that very divide between the rich and poor kind of thing. And uh, which was, I guess, set up in the finale and of course never came to pass. Mm, I would like to have seen that. Yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to watch the show if it was, you know, more readily available. But uh, the other thing I wanted to mention was the presence of Jim Poor man Trenton, yeah, former host of Loveline and creator of Loveline. Yes, which I at the at the time that I saw this movie was also a huge fan of Loveline, living uh, in Southern California, listening to Poor Man on K Rock, and uh, you know this might have been a little boost for the old poor man, who uh, of course lost out when Loveline became very popular without him, uh, with Adam Carolla. Adam instead. Carolla, yeah, <laughs> is that your Adam Carolla impression? Uh, Hey, I'm 20 years behind the times now. My jokes aren't funny. 
It's not yeah. a good impression. No, all. it's really yeah. not. Dave's hair is kind of like Adam Carolla's. No, so. really. Thanks. We've compared Dave's hair to so many things <laughs> in various episodes, but yeah. I feel like that's maybe the, the Dave, weakest. as I said on the phone to you last night, has the uncut gems of hair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You guys were talking about me last night. Yeah. Well, we talk about you a lot. Yeah. Hey, you know, one one other a little tiny piece of legacy is Josh Bell on his very first appearance on Piecing It Together used Heather's as a puzzle piece. Oh, yeah, to talk about Thoroughbreds, which is a great movie. And very, very, yeah, like uh, you can totally see that Heather's led to Thoroughbreds. Yeah, and a lot of movies. So many. I mean, this movie is incredibly influential. And yeah. I noted down some other big teen movies. Uh, mean Girls, of course. Yeah. Um, Jawbreaker, The Craft, Clueless, even Gossip Girl, the TV series. You can feel that influence. And, you know, like the invention of slang. We mentioned, you know, the thing like calling things very, I don't think that actually caught on. But one thing that I noticed in this movie that I think it was the first to do that people do say, you know, when one of the Heathers says like drool much and that that construction of like something much, I feel like is something that this movie invented that people now use. Yeah. Uh, what did you think? Okay. Here's another issue that, uh, of the movie, why Nona Ryder said her favorite scene is when she's breaking away from the jock. And in the background, you see one of the Heathers getting date raped. And yeah. like, it's very satirical, but I guess that type of humor you can't really utilize nowadays. No, I don't know that you could. Or like I said, it would be really difficult to get the balance right. But I think this movie does do that. And again, I think that's why it's not punching down because it's not holding up these people as good people who who do these terrible things. Like Curtin Ram even though we can sort of see some sympathy for them. I mean, in the funeral scene, especially where you see Ram's little sister and she's crying and the dad, that's another great line. I love my dead gay son. That's such a classic line. You know, there's some, you can see that his family really cared about him, but he's also not like a good person. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm not defending any of the characters, but yeah. how many of us were really fully formed good people in high school? Well, no, no. But I mean, I think that that's what this shows is that no one is fully evil or fully good here in this movie there's a lot of complexity to it and that's one of the things i like about it yeah uh so that is heathers and that is this episode of awesome movie year you can follow us on the social media yep you can which was not around during heathers no but if it was i think it would be pretty made use of it they'd be very big on the insta yes i think i'm on the insta oh are you jason harris comedy also on the facebook there Jay Harris Comedy on the Twitter. Go for Jason.com on the website. And then Awesome Movie Year on the Facebook and the Insta. Awesome Movie Pod on the Twitter. You can find me at JoshBellHatesEverything.com. Josh Bell Hates Everything on Facebook and at Signal Bleed on Twitter. And listen to our producer, David Rosen's awesome podcast, Piecing It Together. You can listen to it wherever you listen to this podcast and follow us on social media at Piecing Pod and join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. What's up next time, Jason? Next is our foreign film, Josh. Uh, Pedro Almodovar's Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. I've never seen it. I'm excited. I haven't either. I've seen a lot of later Almodovar films, but not that. So that'll be an interesting one for us to talk about. Tune in next time for Tie Me Up, Tie Me Down. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And if you like the show, review us and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. And all points west. <laughs>